Thank you, Carlos, for your introduction. I'm very happy uh, to be here. Uh, I work in the Department of uh, Sociology on uh, this big Liverpool-funded project, which is called Ethno-Religious Diversity uh, and Trust in Education and Residential Settings. And the motivation, the larger motivation uh, for the project was to take uh, Putnam's very negative uh, findings of uh, the negative relationship between trust and diversity and have our own national survey in which we explore the possible effect, mitigating effect of contact on this relationship. And we also uh, plan to have like uh, and start a longitudinal survey in the autumn of this year, which will focus again on different uh, neighborhood settings and would explore different questions of trust in in-groupers and trust in out-groupers, so basically trust in people of your own ethnic group and trust in people of other ethnic groups, and how this is all related to contact, but also possibly to uh, conflict, um, at the neighborhood setting. So I have to say that whatever I'm presenting today, this, date, this comes from a data uh, which is from our first uh, national survey. But as we're going to start the longitudinal survey, all your comments are greatly appreciated because we really want to get it right with our longitudinal data and uh, really produce uh, a very high, high quality data. So uh, I have an hour, uh, and I feel that you know it's very important that uh, you understand each point as I go along uh, the presentation. So if you have any comments and if you don't understand something, please feel to feel free to interrupt me as I'm going through uh, the slides. So uh, I'm uh, basically today I will be looking into diversity at the neighborhood level and the could this diversity and also potentially growing diversity reinforce segregation. And I have been working closely with Anthony Heath uh, also on this uh, pro uh, project and uh, with uh, uh, Carrie Peach and Serena Hussein who are, uh, who are based in the Department of Geography. So first of all, um, as I said, the big, the big motivating um, factor for our project was this very interesting finding by Bob Putnam about the negative effect of diversity on both uh, inter, in, uh, trust in in-groupers, trust in out-groupers, and generalized trust. So um, in order to, you know, to prepare like a literature overview for the project, I worked on more than uh, 500 studies that have been published in the last five years which deal with the topic of diversity, social capital and social cohesion. So here I've put um, um, like uh, several of them and then I look uh, at uh, uh, in the different roles I look in the different predictors that they, uh, they, that they try to test and I look at whether the relationship is basically between diversity and any of these predictors is positive or negative. So what immediately you get from the table is that actually most of the studies focus on very few um, predict they focus on very few dependent variables so most of the studies, um, oops, uh, I knew that this is going to happen, uh, that uh, most of the studies uh, focus on uh, general trust. So they focus on general trust primarily 
and on neighborhood trust. And then you find that you know in most of the cases you have this negative effect between diversity uh, and neighborhood trust and negative effect between diversity and general trust. But then some of the studies that actually do measure contact find that you know that there is a positive effect of contact, although the negative sign uh, for general you know the negative relationship between uh, diversity and general trust is still maintained, and some don't find any effect once you control for the deprivation at the neighborhood level. So actually, although much in, in the media and um, also in academia, like a lot of people are saying, well, there is a very negative relationship between you know, trust and diversity and social capital, the fact is that we are using only one possible measure of, the, of uh, social capital, and that is this is primarily general trust and neighborhood trust. The other very interesting thing is that all these studies say that they're actually also looking at the possible mitigating effect of contact. But for most of them, their measure of contact is uh, the index of diversity at the neighborhood level. So they take like this index and they say, well, this is, a, you know, by controlling for the diversity at the neighborhood level, we control for the opportunity of people to meet people of other ethnic groups. And we assume that there is contact. But this is not, this is not, generally this could not be the case. Uh, Sorry to, yeah. to interrupt. No. Um, how do you measure diversity? Is yeah. it as it just to do with the proportion of migrants or also the number of ethnic groups? So this is the other very interesting point that I've also put down in my briefing. Although we you know a lot of people talk about the relation of all these findings in terms of migration, we measure diversity in the proportion of people of the difference, basically, the Herfindahl uh, um, index measures the difference between white British and minorities as a whole. So it does not tell you anything about migrants at all. So diversity, migrants, white, other, are one component of this index. Right. So, 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 proportion, as a proportion of Bangladeshis, proportion of Pakistanis, proportion of um, Black Caribbeans. I will talk at the end of my uh, presentation basically of what it ha happens when you control for proportion of white other, which is uh, basically you know, a measure of migrants present at the communities. And the data for the Herfindahl Index comes not from the census, but from local government data. So it's much more regularly updated. But any other measures, composite measures at the neighborhood level, like for example migrant turnover, were based on the 2001 census. So they're very, very outdated. And then migrant all, all you know, turnover is too general, you know, uh, too general as well. So yes, all these studies that look at diversity focus on the Herfindahl index or any other index of diversity. And um, we also replicated the study with the index of ethnic fragmentalization. And we don't find that much difference in the results. Although that index uh, sort of controls whether the difference, there is a white British group and there are, for example, two or three similar sized size groups. So this is a very important point. Uh, yes. So. Um, 
Why, why, you know, um, why is it actually like important to see whether there is actually contact between all these diverse uh, people in, in the neighborhood? So, well, first of all, uh, in 2001, uh, for the census indicated that the minority population in Britain has reached 10%. 2001 was also the year for in which would the, all the uh, riots were, and uh, uh, the counter report like after the riots, um, basically summarized and said that a lot of the communities were actually leading parallel lives. So that was one of the major conclusions from, from this report. Um, so when we started doing the project and when we decided to also like look into uh, segregation and preferences for a residential mixing, we saw that it's really, really important to try to build on all the existing surveys that were out there that were looking into social capital and preferences for neighborhood mixing and to try to incorporate all these measures of, uh, of contact and also of uh, threat, potential threat, uh, both um, realistic and symbolic threat. So what do we know about uh, segregation in, in Britain? So from the 2001 census, we know that 45% of migrants are, 45% uh, of actually of this minority ethnic population is concentrated in London. And uh, Peach in 2010 uh, said that actually the two thirds of the minority are concentrated in, uh, you know, in these four areas. So basically, the West Midlands, the Greater Manchester, the West, and the South Yorkshire. And whereas this contains two thirds of the minority population, it contains only one third of the white British population. So um, the um, chair of the Commission for uh, Racial Equality, Trevor Phillips, in his 2005 speech, uh, was saying that this always an evidence that Britain is sleepwalking into segregation. So it's a very, it's a very powerful statement. I mean, uh, you have like this huge increase in minority population. They are concentrated in very few areas. So this must be an evidence that uh, there is a segregation. And Paulson and uh, Johnson also looked into 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 this, and their analysis uh, also signified that there are particular areas, like for example Leicester, in which uh, the concentration of ethnic minority groups, in particular of Indians, was going close to 60 percent. Finian seems saying that two thirds in those four. Yes. So excluding them. Uh, well, you can't, that can't be right. No, London. I think I've just forgot. Uh, want to put London on the slide as well. It's so London. Two thirds in the five. Yes. Yes. Five in total. London, West Midlands, Greater Manchester, West Yorkshire, and South Yorkshire. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's uh, with London. Uh, so Finney and Simpson looked into the independent, they also had like um, an independent review of the disturbances in Oldham, Balfour and Bramley um, and they also looked into, the, they were originated in, in their research, they also were very interested in this, uh, uh, you know, idea that um, communities were living uh, parallel lives 
uh, and that was at the heart of the issue. Pafili and Simpson found that uh, in terms of migration, um, the newer comers, so the, the migrant comers, uh, also have a similar dissettlement practices as uh, the older comers. So, you know, first there would be a segregation of the migrant communities, but which would be followed by a consecutive process of desegregation. So people are moving and they seem to be moving towards uh, more desegregated areas. So they didn't really find uh, that evidence for a segregation. But what should you do like, if you try to look into segregation and conceptualize segregation? So uh, American researchers have been very prominent in this debate. And uh, here, like, I basically look in the different measures that have been used to study segregation from uh, human geographers and geographers. So this idea of inventiveness, exposure, concentration, centralization, and clustering are very much um, very instrumental and very important um, for, for, for studying a segregation. So on the basis of this, different indices have been uh, constructed and this comes like also in the in Peach analysis and also Johnson, uh, Paulson and Johnson uh, analysis, looking into the concentration of certain areas. For example, they would say that um, the concentration, for example, in Leicester is going into 60%, which in the original Massey and Denton uh, analysis was considered like the sort of point after which you can say that there is an evidence, after which there is an evidence of segregation, but also Peach has shown that the exposure uh, is actually greater in Leicester than in places like Miami or Chicago. Uh, also, people tend to uh, study white flight and minority invasion. So, uh, different with census data, you can study actually the movement of people between the different neighborhoods. Uh, however, in sociology, we tend to focus on these three. So we basically look into the, what could have motivated this existing segregation and again, uh, primarily led by American uh, sociologists, we look into the possibility of segregation being motivated by differences in economic status, uh, discriminatory practices in housing and preferences. So in terms of the first one, there has been extensive, extensive research in the US that uh, sort of uh, recently have tried to discredit the idea that it's um, economic status that is uh, motivating this difference. So what is this idea of economic status is saying, like you want to be surrounded, basically you don't want to be surrounded by neighbors of a poor and lower socioeconomic status. So because of uh, minorities tend to be an especially African-Americans tend to be concentrated at the lower ends of the distributions. You don't want to be surrounded by African-American neighbors because, you know, they have a poor lower status on average than, for example, uh, the, white, um, uh, the, the, the white people. Um, uh, again, like the data, like there are very there are many problems with with this research in general, and we're trying to study this. But a lot of studies have recently said that there is no uh, evidence for that. The only like the only still thing that people cannot still explain is the fact that African Americans in the U.S seem to live uh, among much more uh, lower status uh, Africa, other lower status African Americans. So 
people are much more than white people that will be surrounded by poor neighbors. So this is you know a puzzle that still continues like to sort of hold in, in this research. Then people say, okay, maybe it's not economic status, but what about discriminatory practices in housing? And this is again another very, very challenging area to research because, uh, I mean, again, both Britain and uh, the US have for uh, this uh, equality, equality bills. So it's illegal to discriminate in housing. And uh, it's very hard to actually to do this research. One uh, way to do is like field experiments and interviews. There is some evidence that, um, of course, housing at um, a black um, areas, black Caribbean areas in London uh, is extremely cheap and uh, there is some research that shows, like an economic research that shows the incentive for white British owners to move, the financial incentive for white British owners to move in this area is really, uh, it should be extremely high, much higher than, for example, the housing estate agencies are giving them. So there is some evidence of discriminatory practices in housing, but it's not, uh, it's not very strong. Uh, so what most sociologists would actually focus on in the West uh, end is preferences. So what do we know about preferences? Again, in this area, the underlying biases of preferences, a lot of economists have uh, done uh, some significant research. Uh, so, in the famous uh, Schelling model, it is assumed that if people have even a slight preference from people from their own group, uh, a segregation would be a prevalent uh, pattern. And these slight preferences could be every, anything. So, in Schelling's model, it's consumed that it's norms, beliefs, and customs. So this idea that in order for even your ethnicity to be salient, you should be surrounded by people from your own ethnic group that would bring this uh, cultural and normative reinforcement uh, as well. Uh, there is, of course, uh, another uh, sociologist like, um, and social psychologist like Alport uh, have been very dominant saying, well, it actually could be prejudice. So it could be prejudice on the part of the majority that is driving uh, people to, to segregate. And uh, this prejudice in itself could enforce social distance, so it could enforce uh, the majority, uh, uh, within the majority, this desire to maintain a certain social distance from, uh, from the minority groups. And both of these could be, uh, the way we measure them in survey data is by looking into realistic and symbolic threat. So for example, with realistic threat, we try to measure to what extent the majority, for example, or like any individual things that um, people from another ethnic group are a threat to their jobs, they uh, are threat to the system, to the social system, they are threat to the benefit system uh, within the country. With symbolic threat, we look into whether people would like, uh, would welcome intermarriage in their families, whether they would like to have a neighbor that's from another ethnic group, um, and whether they, for example, they'll have a doctor uh, that's from another, uh, another ethnic group. 
So realistic and symbolic threat are ways to also measure contact, uh, to measure conflict, I'm sorry, to measure conflict. So there is this idea that, uh, okay, so if, you know, there is a prejudice on the part of the majority, then, you know, this necessarily, and, you know, they want to maintain a social distance from the minority, then necessarily this would create uh, this co conflict, which would be evidence in uh, higher levels of realistic and symbolic threat, and could even for criminologists, like, you know, result in uh, violence and possibly crime at the neighborhood level, but racially based violence and crime. Uh, so we again thought that you know this you know this is not new. Uh, this has been uh, said many times before. Although most of the surveys do not actually contain any measures of either realistic or symbolic threat, so in most of the survey datasets and the research on diversity and social capital. The aggregate measure of, in, of multiple deprivation of the area, so the index of multiple deprivation or the relevant, um, uh, for example, in America, the relevant similar index is being used as a measure of the possibility of conflict at the neighborhood level. So none of the survey datasets actually all work, uh, very rarely work into, into both uh, of these. And then we thought we also want to work into contact. So how, how would contact, like in outports analysis, and how would everyday interaction, both everyday interaction and possibility of friendship contacts actually mitigate all these relationships? Um, and yes, so this is uh, the premise for our study. So the data that I'm going to present today on is a nationally representative sample of the adult population. I keep saying British neighborhood, but it's actually like uh, we walk into private households in England. Uh, we have an ethnic minority booster sample, so it's around 800 white British and around uh, you know, 798 minority <coughs> respondents. Uh, we, um, we have a random location quarter sample. Uh, it's based, um, we sampled on the basis of, again of uh, ethnic density and the deprivation in the areas. And our primary sampling unit is actually the middle super output areas. So one of the big criticisms of all the American researchers are that they're using as units of analysis words. And words both in the UK and in the US vary greatly in size. So you're not actually comparing units, you're not comparing neighborhoods that are having similar size, but you're comparing units that are very disproportionate, very big in size. So the government in itself, the Office for National Statistics, did their own exercise, methodological exercise, and they suggested they constructed these output areas. Uh, they're the lower output areas that you know combine into the middle super output areas, and they suggested for any multi-level analysis based on neighborhood levels, you know, the unit of analysis should be the middle super output areas. And we have same size in terms of uh, surface or population? Uh, in terms of uh, population, yes. And we have 200 of them. So uh, I'm going to work today uh, in terms of segregation, um, segregation and preferences for residential ethnic mixing, and I'm going to work in housing scenarios. Similarly to the Chicago and the Detroit uh, neighborhood area, um, we also uh, 
we had a question of uh, whether one of the reasons for respondents to move would actually be um, the ethnic composition of the neighborhood. So apart from better land, better job opportunities, and um, you know, or uh, better job opportunities, so we also had uh, like other questions like uh, you know, moving to be in a new, uh, next to a school, better school for their kids. So so all these reasons listed, and also we had also have racial and ethnic tension or housing pressure due to immigration. So the truth is that on this question a very almost no respondents have chosen that they would move due to racial or ethnic tension or housing pressure due to immigration. So my analysis would be solely focused on the housing scenarios. So housing, the housing images, they have been developed by Farley et al, again in the uh, Chicago neighborhood uh, data that they have uh, collected in, uh, I think, 67, if I'm, uh, if I'm right, yes, uh, if I'm not wrong. Um, so basically what, uh, what they propose to do is to present uh, respondents with these different images and to ask respondents several questions based on the images. We ask respondents to imagine that this, is, that this shaded house with the cross is the house in which they are living. So we're basically asking, with the first question, we're asking at what point, if at any, respondents will start feeling, um, will start feeling discomfort and they'll start feeling uncomfortable. And uh, in this scenario, you see, like, for example, if you are white British, you're surrounded by white houses. Here you have, like, two minority houses, three minority houses. Then here you have equal number of minority and white houses. You have, uh, here the majority, but not all, are minority houses. And here, for white respondents, they are surrounded by uh, minority uh, houses. What's very important is to understand that um, we, the way we set up this question is to contrast white British versus minority respondents. And for minority respondents, you know, the contrast is with white British. Um, we, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, the, uh, it, it would be extremely expensive to actually like, have it per ethnic group, so that would, you know, make at least like 17 uh, questions out of this, like depending on the number of ethnic groups. So basically we're looking into the uh, sort of the difference between white British and minority respondents. So what do a white British respondents see first? First they see an image in which they're surrounded by in-groupers. So they see an image in which they're surrounded by people from their own ethnic group. And we did it the same for minority respondents. So the first thing that they see is an image in which they are surrounded by uh, people from their own uh, group. Oh, sorry, sorry, shouldn't the house be black and the cross white in this case? Uh, because it seems that you're, mm. if they're a minority, it seems that you're different from everybody there, right? Yes, well, we basically we replicated the same scenario. So we, you know, we basically replicated the analysis. Uh, we made, I mean, our interview uh, was face to face. So we gave the interviewers like very extensive instructions so they should make sure that the respondents understand that they are, Actually, you know, the house. houses here. Yeah. 
and we also made sure that one of uh, the things, I mean, it, it will become important why I'm saying this later on in the presentation, we also made sure that uh, the respondents really, are, you know, sort of probed to give a response, so not no answer. Uh, so they really, you know, they ask like, um, you know, but which scenario, and you know, they're, they're, uh, this was one of the most, uh, one of the very important questions in the survey. So we had very extensive interview instructions for this. But I agree, I mean, I'm, I'm taking suggestions here, so how it could be better. For me, it seems like to have a blackout. Yeah. With a white cross. Yeah. So you feel you you feel that you're equal sure. to everyone else. Uh, I think one of the most logical things here to actually put just a text who is saying your house, but Maybe then we had a problem that they won't know whether this is you know they might not be able to read it. The interview have to translate. So there are all these. Um, these questions like what to do. But I, I do understand, yes. The problem is then that we also had to have like the same images for minority and white just in different sequence. Because it's um, it would question the reliability and validity of the item per se. Uh, but of course, ideally we would want to create a new scenario that we'll be able to test and hopefully we'll have more money like uh, in our next longitudinal survey to actually, you know, to actually cognitively testing, uh, to test whether respondents, how respondents perceive that. But here we just incorporated some more things that already exist. How, how, do you, how do you account for differences within minority groups? So a, a Bangladesh should regard a black African household as similar or as different from... But so a minority from your own ethnic group. So all the, all yeah, the rest? All the rest are your own ethnic group. It has been done with American data with different minorities. So for example, comparing blacks and Hispanics. Uh, again, very, very costly to implement. Uh, as so for Bangladeshi, whether people in the neighborhood are white or are all the minorities? Oh, are they all Bangladeshis? And you see why actually, like, I mean, we'll see later in the results. Yes, the some people, the people have have understood it, and that's why you've got, like, for example. I'll just, you know, I'll progress okay, with, uh, with the... No, 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 it's a very good question, it's a very good point. So what do we start uh, to find? So what, first of all, right here, like, if you walk into... These are the white British, then the different ethnic groups we have on this axis. And then we're looking to their proportions in each of the scenarios. I know that it's really hard to, you know, grasp this whole part in the moment, but look at the green. I mean, this is the proportion of people that said that they won't feel, you know, uncomfortable in any of the scenarios. So this proportion is relatively small for uh, white British people, but it is, you know, quite big. Uh, among minorities in general, it's very high among uh, Black Caribbeans and among uh, other Asians. So that was very interesting. One of the other very interesting thing is that the large proportion among minority respondents, so basically this uh, purple color, saying that they won't feel uncomfortable, uh, they won't, they won't feel comfortable being surrounded only by co-ethnics. So that's also very interesting. And this, you know, 
Uh, this could be partially because you know we are asking them of really of looking into an area in which they are surrounded by co-ethnics, and maybe it's hard for them to imagine it. So that's the other, the other part, the one at the bottom. No, but the one at the bottom looks into scenario number one when they're surrounded by white. Houses. And you see the among Bangladeshis, also among black Africans, like this proportion is very high. The Chinese in our sample are very small, we have 30 respondents, so it's really hard to extrapolate on the basis of these results. But the samples of Indians, Pakistani, and Bangladeshi are quite high. So they feel uncomfortable surrounded by, by white by white British. And the Chinese feel uncomfortable being surrounded by Chinese? Yes. But the, again, the Chinese will have 30 respondents. This is a very, you know, it's a big... Well, it's a big thing. Um, yeah. Um, you start feeling uncomfortable. It means that implicitly, if you say, for example, I'm, I'm, let's say I'm yeah. white, as uh, you say, uh, from, you, have, you are, yeah. you say, from image three exactly. onwards, I feel, I feel uncomfortable. uncomfortable. You cannot say, for example, I would feel uncomfortable Surrounded by <coughs> only my own ethnic group and also only by the others. No, right? you, you choose one, one image. and six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I would like to hear your thoughts uh, about that. Again, it was yeah. one of the reasons why we didn't have it. Like, for example, in the American data, they could choose five five times, like, or to grade the scenarios, but again, this was extremely costly uh, to, to replicate and to do. Uh, one of the things we could do is, like, have two, rate two. But there are some data, like, you know, again, some American data, they have asked respondents to choose only one scenario, and there are advantages of that, because, you know, you tell them at which point, I mean, we're asking at which point would you start feeling uncomfortable? Right. It assumes that there is a kind of linear yes. propensity yeah. towards. Um, no, I agree. For example, you cannot prefer being in a mixed neighborhood. Mm. Right. No, we ask them where, where would they feel comfortable. So we also ask them this question. Okay. So uh, we do we do get into that. But again, it's interesting. Um, Oops, I, I think I got the battery. Uh, yes, uh, it's interesting to see that uh, the proportion of white British that will say that they feel uncomfortable in a scenario in which they're half of the population uh, and that, you know, in the housing scenario is quite high. It's quite, it's much higher than for most of, so that's the yellow, it's much higher for most of uh, the, uh, for most of the minority groups. So that's very interesting for, for us. So it seems that you know the moment when uh, white British are no longer uh, the majority, so basically from scenario uh, four onwards, they start feeling uncomfortable in, in greater proportions. Sorry, is there any rational behind the choice of which um, houses are, uh, you know, um, you know, happened by people who not? Um, from your ethnicity, so say image three or image four, uh, you may you know it may make a difference or may not if the you know three and then seven uh, houses are next to your house or yeah. at the extreme yeah. of yeah. you know if there's yes. any reason yes. behind. Um, so. Uh, 
again, it, 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 there is a difference. So basically, that's why we again have in image two, we have the houses to be kind of closer. Uh, to you know, uh, to to this one. So we created the scenario. I mean, we didn't create those scenarios. Like the Americans uh, created them, and we just you know uh, incorporated uh, the item. But it is important. So it is important to show like uh, how, for example, like at the second point, like they wanted to show that you know you have like uh, minority houses that is closer, but then everybody else is white. So your exposure is still is still greater, but concentration is very very low. So they're starting to build um, build on that. But of course, like I haven't built the item, so I don't you know I don't know that much uh, about you know the building of the item. But it's a good suggestion that you know in order to um, basically change the item, we'll have to uh, do some more work on that from the social psychologist part. We also ask them at which point, if at all, you would want to move away. And again, you see that a large proportion say that they won't move in any of the scenarios. And this is, you know, this is quite a positive picture. Like a lot of the people say they, you know, they won't move away in any of the scenarios. And this was not, this was not given like as part of the questionnaire. Like the people said, none. We would not want to move away in any kind of the scenarios. They didn't say don't know, which is, you know, basically this uh, blue on top but they said none. So of course you may ask me later on when we come to the regression analysis whether we trust you know this none. And uh, I have done different you know basically uh, different things with the data from so in some regression analysis I would assume that these people are basically like missing so I would impute them. The results are not that different but for the later for the result that I will present later we assume that um, this is like a, a true category, so they've given like this result because you know uh, they they really wanted to. Going back to the Chinese, it sounds really, it's really strange. I know it was a small. Yes, the Chinese, the, the, the Chinese are very very small. This is not the only one to move, right? Yes. Yes. Well, they don't want to move. They would not want to move in any of the scenarios. Yeah. So they don't want to move. Um. It's um, one of the things, so the, the, again, you see like pretty similar thing, like this time the proportion of people that want to move in from a like, completely white British uh, neighborhood has risen very much uh, among Bangladeshis too, so it's about uh, about 20% uh, of the Bangladeshi sample want to move in that uh, scenario. Uh, also what is really interesting to see is like this kind of a tipping point for uh, white British. So from the moment they really become a minority, like in, they really start, uh, the proportion of respondents that would like to move out starts to increase, which point out that they have like, you know, they not necessarily have a low threshold, so they don't want to, you know, uh, to move away when there's only one or two of the minority houses, but when, you know, they become the minority themselves, they, they uh, want to move out. 
We also were asked at which point, if at all, would you start feeling comfortable? And again, you can see like a large proportion of all groups, but much more so among minorities than among white British, saying that they would be feeling comfortable in the middle scenario, which is uh, image four. Uh, so uh, that was, you know, uh, that is also interesting uh, to, to see. Um, then we ask about the respondents' current situation. So one of the good uh, things, you know, that came out of this question, so we asked uh, the respondents to evaluate, to uh, evaluate on an eight-point scale what they think their ethnic um, minority composition is. Uh, and, uh, sorry, on the basis actually of the images, we have another question to ask them to work on the eight-point eight scale. But in this one, we ask them to, you know, uh, to uh, basically determine in what kind of scenario they're living uh, right now. And it was extremely interesting. I mean, the index of, um, um, of Herfindau index correlates with this uh, question to 0.8%. Uh, so this is extremely high. This basically shows that you know most of the people have an extremely good knowledge of what kind of neighborhood and how you know they have a very good knowledge of what the ethnic mix of their neighborhood is. So at least that made us you know to be confident that they actually understand what the housing scenarios are about and uh, they are also very much aware of what the ethnic composition of their neighborhood is. Uh, so, you know, majority seem to live um, in, in, you know, there is a high proportion of people living in uh, where a white British, uh, there is a, like this half white British, half minority respondent scenario. And maybe this, you know, perceives why we have so many minority respondents saying that they're comfortable in those scenarios because, you know, they're also living the, in those uh, kind of neighborhoods. And uh, we also have like among Chinese, like a lot of, you know, a large proportion actually living in a scenario in which white British are the majority and they are surrounded uh, by, by white British uh, respondents. And again, uh, white British, on the other hand, live predominantly in scenarios in which they are the majority. So um, maybe I, I spend a lot of time, I won't go that much into summary, but there is a clear evidence that there is um, a difference in the preferences of uh, white British and minority respondents. And for white British in terms of the movers, like, there even uh, seems to be a tipping point, which will say that uh, this interracial composition of the neighborhood could, could um, you know, move uh, white British respondents towards taking flight from the neighborhood by seeing that the moving of white British families is unlikely to cause a minority a minority flight. And this might be the case because actually the minority respondents are living in the scenarios in which white British families are very much present. Uh, so the research questions then that we could apply still, uh, there is this evidence of dif differences in preferences. So what are the factors that could motivate these differences? Of course, like you know, we could be dealing with a sample of a much uh, younger minority respondents. Uh, we could be dealing with a sample in which you know there are fewer migrants, there are more second generation members, like for example, and let's say that they're more uh, willing to. Interact 
integrate, they're more willing to mix with uh, white British people. So there are all these effects that uh, have to be controlled and in order to understand these preferences uh, for uh, neighborhood mixing. And we also wanted to see the contextual effects of neighborhood diversity, but also the ecological profile, the economic profile of the neighborhoods at the middle super output areas. So uh, I would like you to focus on the contact and the conflict question. So uh, the measures of, we have many measures of contact. So among the economists of Europe, I have to, you know, I'm quick to say that we also have like other less endogenous measures of contact, like for example, uh, outgroup work contact, so whether you work at uh, the workplace with uh, outgroupers. But in this analysis, I would basically look into whether they have outgrouper neighbors, whether they have outgrouper friends and outgrouper encounters. And I would use all these as measures of contact. And for conflict, I would use the items of realistic and symbolic threat, which are based on whether you think um, people from a minority ethnic group are a threat, economic threat, uh, increase crime and take good jobs away. And in the case of symbolic threat, you don't want to marry away, you don't want an outgrouper to be a doctor, to have a neighbor as an outgrouper. We also call, uh, you know, we don't want the proportion of Muslims to rise in the neighborhood, but this, uh, in building the scale, this uh, item builds uh, very badly. So I've excluded it uh, from uh, the scale. So uh, in terms of the dependent variable, I use so like a, a method um, popularized by Agresti, in which you know in order to combine like uh, this measure to uh, to create a composite measure of uh, flight from outgroupers or discomfort with outgroupers, uh, you actually uh, look into the uh, building like assigning to that category a cumulative probability a score, so that in this measure the people who feel discomfort at work all proportions of outgroupers are the high end of the discomfort scale. So if you start feeling, you know, discomfort at the, at a very small number of minorities, then you are at the, at the, at the high of uh, the scale. And it's the same when it comes uh, to flight from uh, outgroupers. The Hoefendau index, for those of you that do not know it, it's an index that's uh, ranging from 0 to 1. It was developed by economists and it's a measure of competitiveness. So at 0, you have actually you have like a high diversity uh, at that point. And when it goes to 1, there is basically one firm, like in the, econo in the economics premises, there is one firm that's dominating and in our case there is one ethnic group that is actually dominating. So this is just, you know, so what, what, what the results do I find? So, you know, um, I know that I put a big table, but if you would just, first of all, look at the diversity, which is HERF2. So our measure of diversity, and remember, as it goes up, diversity goes down. So basically the positive sign here tells us the more homogeneity like in more homogeneous neighborhoods, people are starting to feel greater discomfort with outgroupers. The effect wins out when you control for realistic and symbolic threat 
as you may imagine. So uh, actually both, you know, these are different models in which I add any of these, uh, each of these uh, step by step, uh, each of the contact and the conflict measures. So as I add like the realistic and symbolic threat, both realistic and symbolic threat increase very negatively and increase very uh, significantly discomfort without groupers. And in terms of the effect of the, con uh, of the contact variables, you see that outgroup of neighbors does not have an effect. Having outgroup of friends reduces discomfort with outgroupers. And outgrouper encounter, so a daily encounter in which you know you go shopping, you just exchange a few words with an outgrouper members, also reduces uh, um, uh, also reduces discomfort positively. But unlike you know the coefficients for. Um, well, actually, much more in, in in the next regressions, the effect that you know when I present the marginal, uh, the the marginal change as well. Actually, the effect of realistic and symbolic threat is higher than uh, the effect of contact. But the effect of contact is still there and is still positive. Uh, the natural algorithm of index of multiple deprivation does not register an effect. So the deprivation in the area does not have, seem to have good control with the other factors, uh, any effect on discomfort without groupers. We also see that actually owners in most of the scenarios are more likely to experience a discomfort without groupers. So if you went privately or you went from council, you experience much, you know, uh, much lower discomfort without groupers than if you're owner. And this has actually been shown with American data as well. Uh, and you know, this was the basis for actually all the housing discrimination literature shows that owners in specific, um, like white owners, are much more likely to be wanted to be surrounded by uh, black. Uh, or African-American uh, houses uh, much more disproportionately than, for example, people that are renting privately or in our case uh, renting from our council. Residential stability does have an effect, uh, a positive effect, but the effect goes away when you control for the much more powerful realistic and symbolic threat variables. And what we find in terms of ethnicity, we find the black Caribbeans are much more positive than, for example, white British people. If we look into only white British, then we find that diversity indeed, like much more diversity, has a very positive effect again. This time, degree of urbanization, so if you're living in a town versus in the rural area, has a very positive effect and reduces discomfort with uh, outgroupers. And again, you find like from renting for council, you have like a positive effect. If we I mean, yeah. you say positive effect, you mean positive in general because it's a negative coefficient. So uh, negative coefficient. It's, uh, the dependent variable is discomfort without groupers. So yes, positive society. Yes, negative effect on discomfort without groupers. Yes, when I say positive effect, I mean positive for society. Yes, thank you, Carlos. That's a very important point. And how do you measure the discomfort? What's the unit? Maybe so. That uh, the, so this is how. At what point would you feel so uncomfortable? The number of, see, the number of 
Uh, the not, it's not a number, it's based on the cumulative probability. So it's not, okay. you don't necessarily assign a number, so it's not from 1 to 6, but on the basis of, you know, of the different characteristics, you assign a cumulative probability for each, you know, for each cell in the row, uh, whether they, you know, whether they would, uh, what's their probability to be on the ordinal scale that you observe. Uh, so, uh, and flight from outgroupers is again based on the housing scenario. So for everybody, uh, we see that diversity again has a very, it has a, uh, well, uh, a positive effect in terms of reducing discomfort. So diversity reduces uh, discomfort. This time the index of multiple deprivation is significant. So with an increase in deprivation, you have a reduction in desire to, to fly away. So we're not the first study that actually like, finds uh, a similar effect. We're the first study that looks at the segregation. People have found it with uh, social trust. And it's a bit, you know, counterintuitive uh, to find because, you know, you would assume that as deprivation increases, you know, poor people would want to move out or move out from outgroupers. But it could be that more deprived areas, uh, you know, in comparison with less deprived areas, are actually much more experiencing day-to-day -day diversity. So we could, you know, we could be actually with uh, uh, this natural algorithm from IMD, again, as pointed by some ge geographers, we could actually be picking up on some proximity and effects of proximity in this. So we find again like a very uh, uh, that outgroup centers and outgrouper encounters reduces discomfort with strangers, and we find a negative effect for realistic and symbolic threat. What we also find is that Muslims, in comparison with Christians, are also much more likely to uh, to want to move away, and non-believers uh, are also uh, you know do not want to move away. <coughs> Uh, from uh, outgroupers. The effect of religion uh, is insignificant when you control for ethnicity. <coughs> but one of the reasons is uh, why we control in different regression lines is because the, 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 the two measures are actually highly collinear. So we have like uh, a, a one um, minority, the Bangladeshis, which are 90, 95% Muslim in our sample. Uh, so we're trying to reduce uh, this uh, the, the issue of uh, multicollinearity. So you have a, a housing variable in here. Yes. Are they included in this estimation? The housing. The, the there were no effect. So if I'm not reporting something, it's because no effect was registered. Yes. So no effect of uh, renting or ownership for everybody. And what what we also find is that Indians. <coughs> experience high discomfort from outgroupers compared to white British and black Caribbeans also experience less discomfort like uh, not only less discomfort but also do not want to fly away from outgroupers uh, in uh, compared to uh, white British so a uh, very similar effect 
for the Herfindau here, a very similar effect for natural algorithm. So you know these patterns are very similar holding in in this uh, in these equations. Here, though, though when you look only at white British, you have like this um, um, basically negative effect of ranging from council. So those that are instead, although the effect is modest, so it's significant only at the 10% level, but white British council renters seem to be more, much less uh, ready to flee away from outgroupers than, for example, white British owners. Uh, one thing that's interesting is that also like uh, in the previous, um, I, I think I skipped through it very quickly, but if you look into the discomfort from outgroupers for minorities, realistic and symbolic threat do not play a count. So whereas realistic and symbolic threat seem to dominate everything that's you know, going around from, for white British, and one of the reasons why we're actually splitting the sample is that, well, you can argue that the coefficients in the models that are for everybody could be motivated by each of the groups and we have enough numbers to actually split it to look into only white British and to only minority respondents but in terms of the flight from outgroupers we do find that they are also motivated by realistic and symbolic threat and these actually increase their desire to, uh, to fly away. Also it's interesting that for minorities outgroup of friends do not seem to matter so much. Outgroup encounter is what, you know, uh, it, it is in this case the contact measure that's driving um, flight, uh, less flight, and so acting more positively. So, um, a concluding remarks, it, it is obvious the contact, the friendship contact does a role. Of course, it could be, uh, you know, the, this, there is this, we, we have a cross-sectional data at one moment of time, so we have this possibility of an endogenous effect. So one way to address this with this data, as I mentioned to Carlos, we have also uh, contact at the workplace. So obviously contact from the workplace, unless really your workplace is in the neighborhood, but we can't really control for that, should be more endogenous to the processes that go on uh, in, in the neighborhood. So well, that's one of the possibilities. But in this, in the, in actually in, in this winter we're studying a longitudinal survey. So in that survey uh, would be with three ways and we're you know trying to uh, sort of really focus on, on this issue. And then we find a realistic and symbolic threat play a major role and in support of conflict theory. Well, diversity seems to be play a very positive effect, especially for white British people, and the discomfort is uh, very well among black Caribbeans. And this is um, in line with the other census research that shows that, uh, um, and just generally the research that shows that black Caribbeans in the group that's more pro most prone uh, towards um, mixing and also uh, the group for which intermarriage rates are, for example, particularly high. Um, uh, so among the residential ethnic stability, we find that for Muslim respondents compared to Christians, they experience a stronger desire to move away. We have a lot of questions in the survey data set just focusing on the attitudes towards Muslim communities, so on the white British. 
only from white British. So the attitude towards the Muslim community. And we're still yet to uh, sort of conceptualize how to analyze uh, those results. So I would very much welcome any comments on that. So first, you know, I wanted to focus on what about migrants. So how could we walk into this analysis and think about migrants? So one of the ways that I've tried to explain at the beginning is to supplement the Herfindahl index with the proportion of other whites. And this is the proportion of other white migrants uh, in the neighborhood. But we don't see any effect of that. So there is no effect. However, there is no effect of the proportion of Bangladeshis, for example, as well. So it could be that just when diversity is, you know, it's in, in its components, uh, they do not seem to play or to motivate any uh, preferences to, to the system. So it could be that diversity as a whole, and, and we've seen that the respondents are actually very much aware of the ethnic mix of their neighborhood, that this as a whole could be uh, playing a role and driving a neighborhood preferences. Uh, one of the ideas is to look into migrant turnover, but we definitely need the 2011 census for that because 2001 has already been too outdated uh, for our data. So thank you very much. Yeah.